This morning we're going to be in a very familiar and a very famous passage. It's probably one that many of you this afternoon will go back home and see hanging on the walls in your house. It's one that I've even seen tattooed on bodies. It's one that has been kind of a a, a keystone, if you will, of, of Christianity and of following God. Before we get there this morning, though, I want us to kind of start and to be in the right mindset of maybe where this individual was and maybe in the same place, at least thinking about some of the same things this individual was thinking about. And so I'm going to ask you a, a few questions to think about. Number one, as you look at the world around you, have you ever found yourself getting a bit nervous in maybe the trends that are concerning to you? I mean, you see trends that are taking place, and it kind of causes a bit of a raised eyebrow, uh, maybe a little bit of a, you know, I'm just not so sure that I see the world around me going in the right direction. Uh, If you poll people today, most people, not all, but the large number of the conversations I have are with people who are concerned because they see the life and the world around them, and they feel like we're not getting closer to God, if you will. We're we're not as a society doing a better job at being holy and getting closer to Christ. Now, I think there's a general consensus of that. and people say all sorts of things. Well, like, how can you tell that things are getting worse? And, and I'm a little bit uh, on the both sides of the coin. Uh, you'll say things happen that are just chaotic. Uh, it, there's no um, hiding these things. So when I speak of current events that are taking place even in our own community, uh, let's not act like they're taboo to acknowledge that these things sort of happen. Uh, there were some people who brought up to me not too long ago that apparently someone had wished ill intent or made statements of ill intent at one of our schools. And so when that sort of thing happens, everyone gets a bit riled up and concerned. And and I'll be honest with you, I approach those a little bit differently, mainly because when I was in high school, I remember picking up the phone. I was working as an aide in the office. I'm not sure if we still do that in high school anymore, but in my high school, there were aides who were in the office. And I was one of those aides for a couple of classes a day, especially in the later years. I remember picking up the phone, and when I said, hello, you know, Hayden High School, and hello, and when I said that, the, the uh, voice on the other side of the phone said, there is a bomb in your school. It's going off in 30 seconds. Click. Now, to some of you, that means like immense hysteria and chaos, and we need to like start some sort of side of move. And I don't know if it is my uh, sarcasm or if it is uh, maybe my lack of belief in someone who does something like that, that I turned around and the secretary was standing there, another aide, and I said, so... Uh, she said, hey, what was that? Because I just, hello, and then I hung up. She goes, what was that? And I said, so somebody says a bomb's going to go off in now about 20 seconds. There's probably no need to even tell anybody, is there? Like that. And she laughs, and she goes, nope, probably no need in telling anybody, but I guess we'll go tell Mr. Ladda. So I walk into Mr. Ladda's office, who's the principal. So Mr. Ladda, I just got a phone call, and in about five more seconds, I believe they say a bomb is going to go off. And he goes, Ugh. All right, start the protocol. We'll get everybody out. And that was how we addressed it. Because when it's going to happen in 30 seconds, I know some of you are like, I can't believe you took this so easily. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, that was my thought. What are we going to do? And so that was my experience. And when I hear of people talking about, oh, something happened of that magnitude, to me, it's just not the big shock factor because I was a part of that in high school years ago. But but there are other things that, that we may see. You know, there are things that happen. We see violence at high levels. Some of you followed when I was on sabbatical. There was a, a brief 
brief stint in time. I wasn't necessarily, one of the things that was a, a bit of a line for me, I did not want to be, be back into the world so much so that I was interacting a lot on social media, but I did have fun kind of posting and letting people know this is how we are, every kind of a well-checked type thing we're doing well. Well, one part of our trip, Stephanie and I were uh, taking some time to travel together. And when we were coming back, we ended up at JFK in New York. JFK in New York, let me just go ahead and tell you, um, I believe when you die, you either see the, the rising to the pearly gates and clouds and St. Peter and all those things, or you turn left and it says JFK International. Right? Like, I think that's the way it works because like, it's awful and, and I don't ever want to fly through that place again. Uh, I've never been to LaGuardia. I don't even know if I'll ever go back to New York, but I'm going to try the other one. I'll tell you that. Uh, but our experience there was wild. Uh, planes were being delayed, all sorts of things happening in that. Some of you followed. There were observation posts I was making and just having fun. But in the midst of having fun and, and you know, you sit there with nowhere to go for hours on end. Stephanie got home. I think we laid down at 2.35 a.m. And her alarm went off at 5.30 a.m. to get up and go to school that Monday morning. Like that was our existence of getting home that week, okay? And so, you know, Stephanie gets back up with about three hours of sleep and back off she goes, you know? And that's, so that was our existence. But while we're sitting there in JFK, you have time to kind of observe what's going on. How many of you like to people watch? Yeah, it's a fun thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's a fun thing to kind of... I look over, and there is a gentleman wearing a hoodie. He's got the hood flipped up on top of his head, you know? But he's wearing a hoodie that is like a city-type scene. And across the hood, it has hashtag Luton410. L-O-O-T-I-N-4-1-0. Anybody have a clue what that is? Yeah, it is a hoodie designed for the looting taking place in the Area 410, which is Baltimore. This person has decided when they got ready to go to the airport that day, what they would don for the day is a hoodie that was made to glorify looting a city. Okay? They're sitting in an airport with the hashtag for looting a city. And I'm looking around going like, we're all doomed. You know what I mean? Like, hey, what plane are you getting on? Because I'm not going to Baltimore, and we'll tell you that right now. You know what I mean? Like, this is ridiculous. And you, so sometimes you see those things, and you're going, what in the world is going on? How do we get to a place where not only looting is taking place, but now we're wearing hoodies like it's some sort of memorabilia of some great event we were a part of? Like, are you kidding me? And you see those things taking place, and it, and it gets us to oftentimes this major kind of concern. Like, man... What, where's our world heading when we're doing irreparable damage to kids in the, in the world of allowing young children and, and even questioning and pushing them and understanding like gender roles and sexuality? Like folks, like there's some things there, okay? Like I'm not saying that like we haven't experienced some stuff in the past, but like there's some things that cause some very real concerns as we look around the world around us. And you start thinking about, you know, like, the things that we've seen take place in the past, one of the other things to speak to that, that also uh, has, has been kind of an informing thing, I enjoyed this part uh, of our trip to New York. Um, Stephanie uh, was in charge of all the tourism and, and the, the things, and she's awesome to travel with. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, she knows where like movies were filmed and all the cool stuff, and so she's like having a tour guide with you. And there was a part when we were down near the 9-11 memorial, and when we were there, she was, hey, I want to go see this church. And I was like, okay, that's neat. And then sure enough, you get there, and there's this tiny little church um, that is very, very small. I mean, you got all these high-rises, you know, dozens and dozens of stories tall, just huge, huge buildings. This little bitty church sitting in 
what looks like a park with a cemetery out front that's been kept up. And, and it was a church that was built in 1766, if I'm not mistaken. St. Paul's, Stephanie, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I believe it's St. Paul's. But the point of the church and going there was when George Washington found out he had been elected president, this is one of the first stops he made because this is where he was attending church while in New York, which was the operational center of government at that time. You read about him and some people who would be uh, detractors of his say that, well, he didn't go to church very much when he was back in Virginia, only once a month. True. Because they didn't have enough preachers, so they had church once a month. You understand? Like, he didn't go there so that he could post it to social media. You know what I mean? Like, you get pictures of people, and you look back, and you're going like, I'm not saying that those were good old days, and look, everyone that we're going to read about has their sins and their victories, okay? Like, that's just part of it. But there's some parts of when we look backwards, we see things, we're like, man, it, it seems as we look back that this may have been more honest or more more authentic, you know, and, and we, we see that happen. And then we see people who want to take their selfies while they're helping someone else so that they can be glorified. Or we see uh, elected officials who want their photo opportunities while they're in those. And it just, it leaves us in this place of watching out of the world around us and saying like, what has been happening? And, and is there something that we could look back at and say, man, this really, maybe this is where we started veering off and we're not doing as well as we may have done as a society. I understand this morning, this is a little bit like preaching to the crowd because I'm talking to the very small percentage of people who were in church this morning. There's an even smaller percentage of people who are going down the road right now, listening on the radio. Hey, hats off to you. Well done. You're either in church or you're riding down the road listening to the sermon or you're watching it on, online. Whatever you're doing is better than a lot of the people who are not engaged on a Sunday morning whatsoever. But yet still we want to look back and say, are there things that we've been doing? I mean, I wonder sometimes, is it the lack of importance of, of corporate worship in general? Some of you remember when Sundays were a big deal. I mean, what I'm doing right now, even as many as 30 and 40 and 50 years ago, is quite the faux pas. No coat, no tie, and you're preaching, you know? I'll tell you what, sometimes this heathen showed up in blue jeans to preach. You know, let's ask a good question. Are those the sorts of things that have been deteriorating? If we're to, to feel like we may not, or is that it? How many of you remember when Sunday was a hard time to go fill up a gas tank or get a meal? You know what I mean? Now it's the oddity because it's Chick-fil-A. You're just mad because you can't go get, go get your God chicken. You know what I mean? Jesus chicken, you can't have that on Sunday. You've got to go to the heathen place called Zaxby's. You know what I mean? So, but there's a reality. It's the only one. Most other thing else is open. So like, is it, is it that that we're doing that is the... Some of you remember in the churches that you used to attend, and some of you are old school Nazarenes, and you remember, like, we used to have some pretty staunch and, like, very aggressive steps toward in, in things, like what we thought was right and wrong. And we seem to be washing things down. I, I hear that, and I'm not even here to argue against you. I'm here to illustrate... There was a time 60, 70 years ago when the Nazarene, 50 to 60 years ago when the Nazarene church boycotted Disney. Okay? Some of you are like, how could you boycott Mickey Mouse? Hey, look, Disney is a whole lot bigger than Mickey Mouse. All right? Like, I got nothing wrong with the little thing with the ears. I do have things wrong with what Disney owns and what they produce and what they put in front of our children. There are issues. There, there are good questions there. And years ago, the Nazarene church had a stance against all things of the, and they had this in their bylaws, of the Hollywood mentality because they felt like what was being produced and coming out of Hollywood was deteriorating the family nucleus and the individuals. It was pulling them away from God, and so they officially boycotted Disney. Like, you're talking about being a part of a denomination right now. Let's get to where we're going to really start. <laughs> Some of you are already bristled because I'm stepping on toes, and now it's going to get real bad. 
You're in a denomination that used to do things like not wear makeup because God made you this way. Be happy with it. Understand? Now understand, legalism. If we're not careful, we get into a place of legalism. I know some of you are getting bristled. Like we get into a place of legalism, but I think there's also some good in saying like, just in the pursuit of holiness, people decided these things were important to them or not important to them. You know what I mean? So know that there were reasons behind some of the rules you think are crazy. The Nazarene church, we didn't dance for a long time. You know why we didn't dance? Because a lot of the dancing that was done was seen again by the Hollywood mentality and by the Hollywood approach. And, <clears throat> and they saw people that were, I don't know how to say this delicately, it did not look like a customary dance anymore. It was graphic. We have all ages here. It was graphic. You know what I mean? And they were like, we don't want to do this. You know, so like that was what they were standing against. And so like, is it that we have gotten to a place where we have backed up enough I understand, again, we can have the legalism conversation later. We don't need to create a whole bunch of rules, but the rules that were created and the, and the boycotts and the stances that were created were from a mindset of like, we want to be holy people who are set apart. We want to be different than the rest of this world. And so that was the, the driving force in that. If you've ever felt this morning, or in, in life, if you sit here this morning and you've ever felt like, I see the world around me and I'm a bit nervous and I'm a bit concerned, I need you to know this is a recurring theme in the people of God. Like this is a concern that people have had time and time again. And so one of the best things we can do this morning is to look back into the text and say, like, how did people deal with when they felt like the, the people they were serving with or being around, how, how did they handle those situations? And so this morning, we're going to go back to Joshua chapter 24. Many of you may remember this text. It may be something that's familiar to you. I'm going to read in verse 1 in just a moment. And when I read from that, I want to tell you that the first portion of this is explaining to the people of God what all God has done for them. This is after the Exodus. This is after the Deuteronomistic history. This is after God has provided for them. This is after God has gotten them into the promised land. Another thing that's a good thing to get in your mindset is when Joshua is saying these things, this isn't when he was a young man at 20. This isn't when he was a middle-aged man at, you know, and is maybe in his 40s or 50s. This isn't an old man at 215 years old, okay? This is a guy, or excuse me, this is a guy who is older in the end of his life. And this is kind of like the last things he's saying and seeing and wanting the people to hear as he's at nearing the end. And so when you hear this, he's going to speak for a moment about all the things that God has done. And yet his concern with them is, it seems like they haven't quite let go of the gods from, as he'll say, across the Euphrates. I'm going to ask you now if you would to stand for the reading of the word and hear these coming from an old leader in, the, in, in their version of what would be the church, the people of God, all right? An old leader speaking to them, and these are the words that follow. You can follow them on the screen, or you're welcome to follow them in your uh, Bibles there with you. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country uh, sire of East to Esau and to Jacob his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they carried, cried, excuse me, but they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. 
I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from, being, from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against you, he sent Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again and delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent a hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them, and you eat from the vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, the ones they worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, who they serve beyond the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. God, we come before you this morning at such a pillar of statement. God, it's such a a pillar of action, of declaration. And this morning, maybe understanding just a bit what it's like to look around and see people serving other gods. God, maybe this passage speaks as clearly to us today as it did to those who heard it thousands of years ago. Speak to us again this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. If you remember looking back in the last couple of weeks, we read from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It was a time when there was a warning to be given. You see, Joshua is reflecting backwards into the story of how God had done so much for them. I mean, if you look back into the story, this, this kind of long list of things that Joshua is saying God has done for you, He has provided for you, He has taken care of you, and all of these things... When you see him listing those things out, the, the unfortunate part is this is near the, again, near the end of his life, and this is what he's, he's wishing for them, but he's also reminding them. Remember back in Deuteronomy 8, we read these words in verse 18. It's the instruction that's given. This is toward the end of Moses' life, and he's given this instruction. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as, as is today. If you ever forget that the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And when we read their story, they had been given that warning, and yet we find them today, Joshua, at the end of Joshua's life, still saying to them, please put down the gods that you have been using, the other gods that you've been accepting, the other gods you've been entertaining. When they were moving forward, even while they were trusting God, we sometimes have this off and on approach to looking at the Israelites. We read about them being on when they were trusting God. We read about them being off when they were forgetting God. And that may not be a very accurate picture for how we think about them. Uh, When we do even archaeological digs in some of the areas that Israelites had camped or where they had lived, you find both symbols of trusting God, but you also find small trinkets that were symbolic of the other gods that he's talking about in this. The gods across the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all those people. They find those other relics that are there. And the expectation is not that they were off and on with God, 
but that while they were following God and grappling with God, they continued to entertain the gods that they had known before. Does that make sense? It was not that they had off and on with Him, but that they continued to, to allow those other gods to be a part of their life, having those other trinkets. And it begins to kind of call into question. He's, he's asking them this question, like, you've been entertaining these other gods for some time, and so who is it that you're going to serve? And, and I think that's like, what a, a wonderful question to be asked this morning. And I think it's something that like we spend time on for just a moment of, of like, who is it that you're serving? I mean, if you're riding down the road this morning, you've got great time to think. Windshield time is a great time to think. If you're sitting in a sanctuary this morning, you have great time to think. What are the things that you would say, yeah, like I serve these things? And not all things you serve are horrible. I mean, you should be serving your spouse. Amen? Yeah, not as a God, okay, but serving them. But then a very good question. What are the things that I find I subject myself to? What are the things that I, I bow to? What, what are the things I, that I put allegiance to? And some of the things that we're very, very prone for doing is that sometimes when we ask tough questions like that, oh, what, what, do I, what am I bowing down serving to? We immediately go to a God, which is a bit of an irony here. We go to the God of comparison. And so we look at the people around us and we say, hey, I'm not wearing a hoodie that says Luton 410, so I'm doing pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? And, like, and you may go to work, you may think about like the total hoodlum at your office, and you're just like, hey, I'm not that, so I'm better. And the reality is that it almost becomes a God. It, it is the God of comparison that we use to make ourselves feel better about something. So for just a moment, rip off that Band-Aid for a second and start asking the question, like, what are the things that I, that I entertain? I mean, you're in church this morning. You're driving down the road. You're sitting in your house listening to a sermon. So you, you know what it means to at least listen and think about the one true God. But my question is, what are the other proverbial trinkets like the Israelites? What are the other things that you're still carrying, to carrying around with you? What are the things that you entertain in your thoughts? What are the things that you... I started thinking to myself in preparation for this. It, it seems a bit odd to me when I hear people say things, and I think these are some good, some good questions to kind of get this mindset going. What are the things that stay and maintain in my life that are symbolic of another God that I serve, even though I may still trust God, which is a weird thing to say that you can trust God and yet you're still serving other gods. Uh, many people would make a very good case then you're not trusting God, and I, I get that. Don't answer this out loud. Anybody read your horoscope lately? You know what your zodiac sign is? You believe in karma. I hope I don't have a car wreck on the way home. Everyone ever tell you good luck? Do you tell people good luck? Interesting phrase. You ever dress up? as if to be someone who can summon other spirits, maybe cast a spell on someone. I find this one odd. We have a very interesting pledge of allegiance. I say it, but I still ask good questions, but I pledge allegiance to the flag. You'll notice, by the way, um, I'm gonna open a can of worms and tell you that I'm closing it right back up. It's not up for discussion. We don't have flags. Um, yes, we used to. Six years ago, eight years ago, they've been gone a long time. One of the reasons that they're gone is because we were getting into arguments about which side the Christian flag and the American flag should be on because it's understood within our governmental system that the American flag, if I'm not mistaken, some of you are better at remembering this polity than I am, the American flag goes to the right of the person speaking, is that correct? Someone speak to that? There was a more place of more prominence. And then the Christian flag would go to the other side. And people who are concerned about other gods would ask the question. So by putting the Christian flag over to the side, are you then saying that it is secondary to your American nature, to your American allegiance? Listen. I bleed American like anybody else in this room, but if I'm not real careful, my nationality, my, my allegiance to a country can trump. If I'm not careful, it can trump my allegiance to God. 
I need you to, to hear me. Hear me say this as delicately as I can. I love this country. I'm appreciative of people like my grandfather, my uncles, and the people who are in my family, and the people in my church that have paid ultimate prices and also have paid major sacrifices in their own other personal endeavor options because they wanted to serve this country. And I have great honor for that, but I do know this. If we're not careful, our other God and our trinket becomes our country over our God. We have to ask good questions, and that's what I'm asking you this morning. What are the things that are the other God trinkets that you may have in your life? What are the other gods that you go to? Not very long ago, I heard someone speaking, and they talked about this, this kind of mindset of, I love, I love Joshua's words and saying, but if the Lord seems undesirable to you, it's not that non-desirable, but, like, but just not keeping God in, in, the, in the right place. And this individual was talking about what it means to, to live our lives in response to God. And he, and he opened my mind into a mindset of, of thinking that was, I thought was such a, a, a wild difference between us and everything else created. He said, human beings are the only thing that can live below their intentions. They're the only thing that can live below what they're intended to do. I mean, think with me for a moment. You were intended, when you were made by God, put in the Garden of Eden as we look back, you were given specific instruction. It was to know God, to spend time with God, but it was to take care of this earth. And, and it was that picture of walking in the, in the cool of the day with God, spending time in communing and fellowshipping with Him. If you bring the story forward into Christ, there is this, this understanding that Christ died for us and, and that God is our one true God. And so we were created to worship the God who gave us life and who gave us His love through Jesus Christ, His Son. And we're the only thing that cannot do what we were created to do and still live. A silkworm doesn't make polyester, and it can't continue to live if it doesn't make what it's created to make. You understand? Like, there are other things out there. Like, if they are intended to eat grass and live, then if they quit eating grass, guess what happens? They don't live. Look, the other creatures that were there, if they give up what they were intended to do, and they don't survive. But yet we have this wild ability that we can live below the intention of what God asked us to do. And the crazy thing is, it's this picture of, it's the picture of the love that He gives us, that He gives us the opportunity to do something other than what we were created to do, which is such a weird thing. I love you enough to let you not do it. You know, to let you choose it. We believe in the, the free will of human, humanity. Like we're able to choose other gods. We were created to worship our God. But he lets us choose other things. Some of you are still trying to ask good questions and you're saying, am, am I living in such a way that I have the trinkets of the other gods and I'm, I'm in some ways what Joshua was trying to, to call out against? And, and I think a really good way of, of determining that, who are your five closest friends? Think for a moment if you had to name them. Now don't name them out loud because there may be somebody who's in this room who thinks they're in your five and you didn't name them. So don't do that, okay? But like name your five, okay? In your mind. In your five. One, two, three, four, five. Are they consistently people who are in pursuit of Christian holiness? Because I'm convinced it is the people that you go back to for validation and friendship that form, craft, create who you are. As much as you'd like to say, I am my own person, I'm an individual and all those sorts of things, um, we, we, we learn in social circles, in psychological study, we meld with the groups we're a part of. And so sometimes a good way to kind of poll ourselves is my five closest friends. Do we have good, solid, let's be Christ-like conversations? Do you have those people in your life? Because if you don't, it's not that you can't, but I'm going to tell you what, it's rough. It's rough. So one of the things that 
If your closest friends embody a life that is very much worshiping the other gods and having the other trinkets, like, I'm not going to say you can't, but I'm just going to say, man, that's a tough one. It's going to be real tough for you to be the one to be unlike. You're going against everything we know about humanity. You understand? You're standing in opposition to everything we know against humanity. And do you, do you think that much yourself? You know, it's a good question. This morning, what I want us to do is to hear the words of Joshua as he's saying this about what he sees happening in his people. As, as, he, as he looks at the people around him and he's concerned that they continue to carry the trinkets of the other gods with him, with them. And he's able to say, <clears throat> choose for this day who you will serve, what you will do. But as for me and my house, we are going to work diligently at serving the Lord. 